0: Welcome to the Granary Church Podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church.
1: Morning, everyone. What do we want from church? And what does God want from us? What, What does God want for us? Sadly, I think those two live in... Way too much of what we're wanting and what God desires for us. I'm here because I had, I, had a, I had first off had a meal with Sue and Graham, and I mentioned the challenges of culture and community in Christian schools. And we talked about custodians, involvement, consumers, involvement, ownership, and custodians. And what that looked like. And we talked, and we talked about the similarities between that in Christian schools and also in the life of the church, what that looks like. Us being consumers, us having some involvement, perhaps moving on to ownership, but then becoming custodians. So they're not the usual terms we may talk about in what we think about church. I don't know whether you have thought about, am I I a consumer of church? Am I just involved? Isn't being involved good? Isn't having ownership good? So we're going to unpack some of this this morning around what we think, why we do it, our motives. I hope this change is going to work well for me. Yes, it is. Stuart's going to come up and read 1 Peter. As he reads it, I want this to be the why this morning. We're gonna read it at the end, and we're gonna use it as a prayer for our hearts at the end. But this is the why. Why should we challenge ourselves how we think? Does it matter being a consumer? Isn't it good just to be involved? I thought it was was good me having ownership. But I wanna think about this as the why, the deep why of why we need to be far more than that. And read this in the context of what God wants for us.
0: 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 9. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. I had, uh, I had a
1: circumstance last year to do with my health and I uh, there for about a month I had really no idea that I was in a life-threatening situation. So it was sort of one of those things. You come out the other end of it and go, hmm, that was pretty interesting. I had no idea I was uh, that close. Since coming to terms with that, my emotions around God's goodness are very real. I tried to read that about four times preparation to reading it this morning and realised, no, there's no way I'm going to be able to get through that if i will try to read it. So we've got other people reading it for me so I don't stand up here and become a complete blubbering mess for you. But that's the why. What an incredible why, what God has done for us. So we're going to reflect on that as we unpack what our attitude should be to church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about what your attitude should be to the granary. I'm talking about your world of church. Um, That will involve um, your work. It will involve many things. Stuart's going to now come and read the next passage for us, Colossians. This is the second
0: half of what we're going to be
1: considering this morning.
0: So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. I, was, uh, I heard a
1: sermon on that passage probably 25 years ago and uh, it's just one of those sermons. I'm sure most of us here... Um, who have been in church for a while, have, you know, that sermon where it was God's word just just opened up and the, ma- and the gravity of something in a passage just, just comes out before you and says, you can't think about life the same again. Uh, this was one of those passages for me. It was preached by Ken Dickens, a, uh, a chap who I've known for many years, and I'm so grateful that God used him that morning in sharing it with us, with me. The impactful part of this was that Paul is talking to Christians. He's saying to Christians, don't become captive to this world in your thinking. He wasn't talking to people of no faith, saying don't stay out there being captive to something else. He said to Christians, you can become captive to this world. You can become captives. Now, in any term, whether a modern view of captives we have now from recent events in the Middle East, or we have the Second World War. We go back to Paul's time when captives were chained, beaten, stuck in front of a victorious army and marched into a city saying, look what we've done. That was captives. And Paul is warning we can become captives, captive to thoughts, worldviews, and the way we we see life and we want life other than what other other than living under the umbrella of what we heard in 1 Peter being our driving force so this morning as we speak i want to say my feet are the biggest feet of clay in the room i'm saying this challenging myself and i'm it brings me to tears sometimes when i think about 1 Peter, or many other truths in God's word that wrap that up so beautifully as well, but 1 Peter this morning, thinking about that's what God wants for us. Yet how far out in captive, how, how captive are we to something else, to the elementary principles of this world, and so far from living a, a life that Christ would have us live? And I want to think about in the context this morning about our attitude to church the broad picture of church. We will all fit somewhere in the following four attitudes of heart. Most of us will range across three or four. We need to be honest before God and ourselves where we find our heart motivation. These aren't terms, as I said, we usually talk about in church. Consumerism, um, involvement, ownership, custodians. But I want to unpack that. I want to acknowledge also that there are different areas of service, Um, family, church, work and other areas and so when i'm talking about our attitude to church i'm not just saying what you do in this building what you do for the granary it's about a large picture of your life in all different ways and there can be volunteer work outside the church for other christian organizations and other organizations so i want that to be the big umbrella But I also um, will have different presents. With this tension, our fundamental worldview will be driving us. So it doesn't matter whether you're in family, church, work. The fundamental worldview of am I a consumer? Am I like to be involved? Yes, I'll have some ownership. Or am I a custodian? will drive you. It will drive you. We all have a worldview that directs us. Is it the 1 Peter worldview? Is that what defines us? This varies depending on our commitments and responsibilities. We should be striving for the church to be a central part for us in Christian teaching, fellowship, service, joy and hope. For us to be too busy to fellowship and contribute to the body of Christ is to be captive to another. So in saying there are other areas of service, I'm not giving us an out. I'm not giving me an out. With a number of things I'm involved in, I could make a very rational reason, I'm away from home, um, I have to travel a lot, why I don't have a home church anymore. I could have done that for the last 15 years, and at some points I did, and I'm ashamed of that. It's very easy to justify why we're not involved in a home church, but I think that's a big mistake. I think it's a mistake around accountability. It's a mistake about enjoying, enjoying the blessings of 1 Peter in fellowship. So in the context of what we're talking about this morning, yes, there are other areas of service we have, but it doesn't give us the out to where we step away from fellowshipping with God's people and seeing it for teaching, good, solid teaching, accountable behaviour and all that goes with that. So that has to be there. For us to be too busy to fellowship and contribute to the body of Christ is to be captive to another. Choosing or staying in a church. The spreadsheet syndrome. What's the spreadsheet syndrome, you may ask? I was doing an interview for a a position in a Christian school. The the guy involved, he was moving from another area, and um, we said, where are you planning on going to church? And he said he'd started a spreadsheet. And I was very interested in this spreadsheet. And I said, what are you looking at? He said, well, we're looking at needs of my wife and I, needs of our children, what's offered, X, Y and Z. He said, and we thought we'd rate each church. And at the end, we're going to be able to see what serves our family well. I was hoping desperately that he was going to say the church that gets the lowest score so that our family may go and serve them well. (laughs) No, no, it was what was going to serve him well. He didn't get the job, unfortunately. For me, the test of Christian maturity, that one didn't pass muster. But do we do that in regards to being at a church? I'm not talking about false theologies and so on where we don't feel we can stay in a church and I'm not referring here I'm talking the broad context but I'm talking about the consumer mentality of what we do what we what we want what a church must give us that's the spreadsheet mentality and I think we have to be very careful that we're not operating a spreadsheet in our minds when we're just sitting and being involved in a church you know does the church reach a critical point where eh, sorry the coffee just isn't really cutting it anymore And no matter how many times I've said I would love a different choice of muffin, we have the same two muffins every week. (laughs) So we've got to be careful we don't run spreadsheets. Consumerism, an economic and social system that encourages the consumption of goods and services as a means of attaining well-being. Haven't we swallowed that hook, line and sinker? Um, Bernard Mandeville in The Fable of the Bees in 1714 talked about the success of the empire would be based on the consumption of goods by its people, 1714. So I'm sorry, consumerism is not new. We've all been consumed by it. There's not anyone in this room, I would suspect, me, me being the most, who isn't susceptible and taken in by consumerism. And, of course, the great lie there, of course, is... Attaining well-being. So that's the consumerism of of culture we're immersed in. We are immersed in it. We're not sitting on the edge of the pool dangling our toes in it. We're a thimble and society takes a 44-gallon drum and dumps it on on our thimble. That's the level of consumerism that is put on us in Western culture. And many other cultures, but their consumers are of a different, they consume other things. But for us, the Western culture and consuming. So let's look at what now. That definition has some basis if you were to look it up or Google it. The next definition is well, it's my definition of consumerism in churches. The enjoyment of sharing in the life of the church for the prime purpose, the prime purpose of its benefits for your personal well-being, while being content for others to provide this for, for us with very little personal cost to ourselves. That's consumerism, I believe, in the church. And to greater and lesser degrees, we all will fall into that or be tempted by that. Now... When we first come into a church, there may be people here today for the first time. I'm glad you're here if you are the first time. I'm glad you're here if for no other reason to hear one Peter. If nothing else that happens here today in what I'm saying, please go from this place and digest one Peter. If this is your first time here, look at it. Look at the love that God pours on us. He takes a 44-gallon drum in one, Peter, and dumps it on our thimble. We may come into a church where this is part of the story, but we can never stay there. Staying as a consumer only of God's goodness, of God's people's goodness, as we move through life being captive to other things, isn't an option. It's an option if we're getting what we want from church. It's not an option if we want what God wants for us. The fact or condition of being involved with or participating in something, being on the committee is one involvement I could do without. It's an example. Yes, well, involvement. Yep, there's nothing wrong with involvement. Being involved is good. But it has a twist in the tail and can lead us very much back to propping up consumerism. So that has some credibility, that, that definition. My next one, involvement in our own self-interest. Only while my kids are involved. Yes, my, my wife and I, we're committed to helping at the church and we've we helped with the young ones when our kids were young and we now we're moving into the older ones. When our kids finish in youth group, well, we'll move on to the next one. And really our commitment is propping up what we like to consume. Now, I'm not saying there's not a, a part for maturing through and what, what you do into a church. But if that's kind of your, your, the main narrative around who you are, then there's a problem. If you're in this church for 20 years... And someone said, what was that family involved in? I'm going to put it to you that if the involvement was simply once the children started going to Sunday school and when they finished the other end, well, sometimes people will help up until youth group, but then Friday nights free of the kids are a really attractive thing. (laughs) That's a consumption. Can I put it to you that if you're consuming these things only, then it's a problem. And being involved to prop up that consumption is also a problem. Church involvement. On a committee, so we have a say. How many of you have ever thought that? Yeah, there's a problem with that, though, isn't there? When we say it, we can hear it. I'm only going onto the committee because I think we need to sort this out. I need to go in there and someone needs to speak up. That can be positive if it's, not, if it's part of why you're going on. If it's the only part, then it's, it's a problem. Being involved, involvement can be part of getting our consumer bucket filled up. You know, am I involved because I enjoy the accolades of others? That is one of the big traps. The recognition that we're putting our hand up and serving that putting our hand up and we're getting involved we have to be very careful of the motives behind it and so being a consumer and being involved there's a lot of traps within that a lot of pitfalls because still we aren't being driven we aren't being driven by what one peter talked about and when i say what it talked about is a complete life of gratitude for what 1 Peter spoke about. Do we live in a complete life of gratitude for what is said in 1 Peter? It has to be the question. And that cannot leave us as consumers and it cannot leave us just as involved, just as involved. Can be benefits for others in love, service, using our gifts. Absolutely acknowledged. So involvement has some positives. But it's not the end of the story. Don't stay there. Please do not stay at just involved. Ownership. To own or ownership. To have or hold a property possessed, to have power or mastery over it. Wanted to own his own life, its mine possesses. I used to talk a lot about ownership until a, a colleague in Western Australia talked about ownership isn't good enough for us. We have to be custodians, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But what are the challenges with ownership? It's the fact that we think we own it. <laughs> That's the problem. Because when we own something, we can do whatever we like with it. My son had got a new car, and he had pretty strong ownership for it, and, and uh, he was a bit miffed that Barbara and I used to get to park down near the house rather than um, up on the road where he had to park his car. And so he said, Well, look, you know, it's my home as well. You know, can't I park down there? And we said, Yes, mate, we can. But you felt like saying, Well, you are sort of like 30 years younger and, you know, sort of just uh, get a grip. But <laughs> there was one night I was coming home and I knew there was rain, storms coming. And so I thought, Look, I can park up the top because it's fine, and then Isaac, when he gets home, when it's probably going to be wet and stormy, or it's going to be wet, he can park down near the house and get closer. I thought this was a good idea for Isaac. Well, I did that. Isaac came down parked his car. Well, there was a storm, wasn't there? And there was a tree. And it was a a cypress pine that had had limbs trimmed off, but they'd been left about six inches long all the way up. And this limb came down and punctured, I don't know, half a dozen holes in his car and just made a complete mess of it. So Isaac got his wish. He got ownership of the parking spot down near the house for the first time, first or second time, and he didn't have a car for a month. Barbara and I have talked about that lesson Isaac learnt in that. I'm still waiting for just the right time to encourage him that, His ownership was a little bit too strong and it may be the Lord trying to tell him something. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, ownership, that's what he got. So if it's yours, you can do what you like with it. That's not an option in service. It's not an option when we think about church. Um, It has to be more than that. It has to be more. Again, look at 1 Peter. We can't swan around saying we own it. It's about service, it's about thankfulness, it's about joy. Inherited rights, ownership. just want to push this one more notch. My great-grandparents paid for that block of land. I've heard that too often in Christian schools. I've heard it too often in some churches. What right does the current leadership think it's got to do this? Sixty years ago, my grandparents gave that block of land to the school and I feel my family should have a say in what's happening now. Some churches also do that. I think we should get. I think it's it's putting it to a vote, but I don't think it's fair. Our family only gets two votes, because it was my grandparents that did that. I want to challenge us, though, that that mindset of ownership through participation or mind or ownership because of blood and treasure that we put into an organisation. We've got to be very careful not to be running that also as a spreadsheet in our minds. You know, Are we keeping a tally of what ownership we should have given what we give or don't give? Or I would give more if I could have my way a little bit more and so on and so forth. So ownership can be toxic. So can consumerism and can so is just being involved. And we have to be honest and open with God about that and ask how, what parts of those we are captive to. Now, there's a role for the church here as well. One of the questions I asked the, the, the leadership team here was, that if my wife and I came to the church here for a few weeks, at the end of it, when we drove home and decided, well, will we come to church, won't we come to church here? Would it be one of they have wonderful things we can consume and it looks like a wonderful place for a whole lot of reasons? Or would we leave going, okay, we're really going to have to step up because the deep passion that church has for the lost, for this, for that, for anything else, we're going to have to get roll up and get our hands dirty. We're going to have to work coming to this church because of the passion involved. We've got to be careful we don't create consumers within church for not having enough opportunities of service and so on or what that means or what that looks like. That's not a comment on the granary, That's a question I ask schools in that context. What does it look like? But I think what impressed me then was that the leadership was challenged by that in regards to their own personal journey of consumer-involved ownership or custodianship. But also the question of what culture were they encouraging in the church? And that's why I was happy to come when they said we'd love you to share this with the congregation. I was happy to do that. Not because I was asked to come and speak at a well-known church, but because I felt the leadership was struggling with the things we were talking about and wanted to struggle with the congregation around that. So I want to give that credit to your leadership. Church ownership, again, my definition. Ownership can have some positive elements, time, energy and committed. I have real ownership for what's happening. Yes, it can also be corrosive. It can be divisive. One group can have ownership, another group can have ownership and that ownership isn't framed in the one Peter of gratitude, enormous gratitude for what Christ has done and how we're now living, waiting on that eternal salvation to come. Of what he's done for us. And what are we captive to? What in that picture of ownership that becomes divisive in a church, that becomes corrosive, more often than not, it's the captivity to something else that will push that agenda. Doesn't necessarily mean a positive outcome. I own it, I will do what I like with it. I can't own it, no one else can. I'll blow it up. I remember hearing someone say that in a Christian school association meeting where it was, not the exact words, but it was along the lines of, yes, well, if you think there's a problem now, Connor, I'd rather see this school closed than X, Y and Z. And he had real ownership, that gentleman. Had a lot of ownership. Had no custodianship. <laughs> had real ownership, though. So we have to be careful. Careful with ownership we can't stay there only either we have to keep moving on world's definition a custodian is a person has responsibility for taking care or protecting something someone who guards and protects or takes care of something for another person holding in it true trust for the generation for the future generations for the long term with a sense of responsibility and care responsibility, working for the benefit of others. It's very hard to be selfish if you're a custodian because it's not about what you're getting out of it. It's about how are you going to hand this on? How are you protecting it for others? What are you doing to it? Are you improving? What what are you doing here? So as I said, it's not a term used often in the context of Christian thinking churches. But for my own mind and for yours this morning, I'd like to challenge yourselves. Are we custodians or are we just consuming, involved, and we have a, a degree of ownership? Because if we stay in the first three and don't come to this, we will miss what God wants for us in service, in gratitude. Again, for that extraordinary passage in 1 Peter that I hope we can just not ignore, cannot ignore that passage, cannot ignore what is written there, what has come down to us through the, through the generations and demands a response more than consuming. Custodians in church, to work for the benefit of others, we can make a list of what that should be the benefit of, depending on the circumstance but it's to work for the benefit of. It's not to fill our consumer bucket, and we all have those, to keep safe what is precious, to hand on, same at least. Mind you, I think handing on same at least is dealt with in a, uh, in a parable about, Lord, I, I buried it because I didn't want you know, to go wrong with the money, but here it is, the same. I think it has to be all better. Uh, Do you think of the church as primarily consuming, church broadly, as consuming, or as something you're contributing to as a custodian in gratitude and knowing what is better? If you're a custodian, you have a responsibility to know what is better. I'm afraid a custodian can't find themselves in a situation where it's, I'm sorry, uh, Tim, you're supposed to be a custodian of this building. The gutters are falling off, the toilets are backing up, the road isn't – no one can drive in and use the car park anymore. I can't turn around and say, I know, but I don't know where to find a plumber and I don't know where to contact anyone to do asphalt. And, well, everything else is just too much for me. You don't have that option. You have to find out. You have a responsibility as a custodian to look at God's word, to listen to God's word, to immerse yourself in God's word. Custodians just don't pick up the manual occasionally and go, oh, yeah, that's right, we have a manual for this. I better have a look at it. Custodian knows the manual, and we have one manual. So if you're going to be a custodian, doesn't matter how busy you are elsewhere in life, you do not have an option except to be learning God's word more every day, more every week, more every month, more every year. So that would be my challenge to you in, in, in 24. If anything rings true to you about what I'm saying and you, and you think, where do I start to be a custodian? Immerse yourself in God's word. Get to know God's word backwards. Live in it, love it, and get to know the manual if you're going to be a custodian. And what is to keep safe? What is precious? Now, I wasn't going to come here this morning and, you know, take a list off the church website of all the things that the granary thinks are important from a cultural point of view. So I thought I'd just go to the manual and just look at the Beatitudes. If you're wanting to grow a culture in a church, I believe you have to ask the question of these 10 points. Are we creating culture that encourages these things? People who know they are poor in spirit. Allowing people to be mournful. Places that are safe for people to be mournful. Or do we have to put on an external image that allows us to consume better because in that way we can. Meek, meekness. Are we encouraging meekness? Hunger for righteousness. Have we prayed? Have I prayed recently? I have to say I haven't used these words. I was challenged when I was I'm looking at this yesterday. Am I praying for people around me in my workplace, in my family, that they are hungering for righteousness? We don't know hunger. There may be people in this room that know hunger better than I do. But for most of us in this room, real hunger, we don't know. To hunger for righteousness like we haven't eaten for a week. Do we pray that for ourselves? Do we pray that for the church? Merciful, pure in heart, to be peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness reviled and persecuted, rejoice in persecution. It'd be great to unpack what a church looks like that helps, supports, creates cultures around promoting these things in a thankfulness for what we see in 1 Peter. So as we finish, we're going to read those two passages again. Who are you captive to? What really drives your worldview? What holds you on station? What's more exciting to check on Gumtree or Facebook Marketplace on things you want to buy? Or the scripture that's come up and prompted for you to read that morning? What drives you? If we're going to talk about phones. Are we spending more time on social media than we are immersing ourselves in God's word as good custodians? I think they're challenging cultural questions, but we as a church have to unravel that and go a new direction. If we are not going to be captive to this world and what it tells us is good and right, rather than captive to Christ. Is it Christ or the principles of this world? I'm not saying, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to be a Christian or not a Christian? I'm saying, as a Christian, are you going to be captive to Christ or captive to this world? Because that's what Paul's warning of. And we can't read 1 Peter, that 1 Peter passage, and not live in extreme gratefulness and have to be captive to Christ. Stuart's
0: just going to come and read those two passages once again for us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Colossians 2, verse 6 to 12. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of god and raised him from the who raised him from the dead Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.